Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, hey, what's up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. Really glad that you're here. We got a great episode for you today. This is kind of a unique one. This is something we actually haven't done before, and so I'm really excited to share this with you. Hey, before we get into it, let me again remind you, if you haven't already, we'd love for you to register for one of our upcoming free live trainings where we are teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So if you haven't registered for one of those yet, you definitely want to do that. You can go over to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, we do these live trainings just about every single week. Also, while we're doing these live trainings, I'm actually on there live answering your questions, doing some live Q&A. So you definitely want to register. You definitely want to come hang out with us again over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Okay, let me kind of set up today's conversation that we're having today. So I had a guy that reached out to me and uh, had a bunch of questions. And so we were kind of emailing back and forth. I was helping him with a couple of things. And he said, hey, man, I've done a lot of speaking before. I wouldn't say maybe a lot. I've done some speaking before. And, but I'm just, I'm having trouble narrowing down who I want to speak to, what I want to speak about. And I'm just having trouble kind of getting some traction. I'm also trying to figure out if speaking is a good fit for me. And, you know, he, he said he's already got an existing business and he's got his hands full, but isn't definitely intrigued by speaking and just kind of just doesn't know where to start. And this is a, his story is very similar to a lot of stories that I hear from speakers that are, I'm really intrigued. I just, I don't know where to start. I've done a little bit of speaking, but I'm trying to figure out what to do from here. Uh, part of the challenge was he had a bunch of different things he's interested in speaking about and a, a bunch of potential topics that he could talk about and a bunch of potential audiences that he could speak to. So he was having trouble starting to just kind of, how do you narrow that down? How do you start to figure that out? So we had a great conversation just to help him bring some more clarification to that of who he should talk to, what he should talk about and how he should actually go about finding and booking paid speaking engagement. So that's what this conversation is. And I think you're basically it's kind of a coaching call that you can eavesdrop in on. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's get right into it. Here's my coaching call conversation with Chris Field. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Grant here. Hey, I'm joined by Chris Field. And we are chatting today about finding and booking speaking engagements. So Chris, we were just talking a little bit offline about kind of where you're at. So why don't you give us a synopsis of kind of where you're stuck in the speaking world? Because I think a lot of people are going to be in a similar spot as you. Yeah. So essentially, by sort of default in my career, which is running a nonprofit, I've done a lot of speaking, uh, probably 50 or 100 gigs over the last six, seven years. The vast majority of those are been unpaid. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I make this transition from an unpaid speaker who's doing a fair amount of speaking into somebody who's getting paid. And then kind of secondarily to that, I have a very broad set of experiences from starting businesses, starting nonprofits, international, domestic. How do I pick those topics that are going to allow me to get booked and get paid on the shortest curve possible? 
You'd mentioned before when we were talking offline that you have, and even like you just said, you've done a lot of speaking, 50 to 100 gigs or so. What kind of industry space have those gigs mostly been in? It's been pretty broad. I mean, especially when we started the nonprofit Mercy Project, it was one of those deals where you're talking to anybody who will listen, right? Anyone who will give an invitation to come. So I've done everything from elementary schools to teachers, new teacher orientations. I've done stuff, a lot of stuff in colleges. I'm a professor here at Texas A&M in the business school teaching a class on using business to solve social problems. So I've spoken to a bunch of college students. I've done some stuff with the 4-H, which is a big uh, group here in Texas, especially, but across the country. I was one of the keynotes for their roundup here at, at Texas A&M a couple years ago. I've spoken at uh, some business conventions. I've spoken at some ministry conferences. So, I mean, it's truly been a pretty broad range across the spectrum. And that's on a totally unrelated note, I've done that Texas Roundup event. Who's the state advisor? Here in Texas? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on this. Chris Bowman is the guy down in- uh, I've worked with him. There's another guy though. I can picture his face. I can't think of his name. Anyway, yeah. So I've, yeah, I've done that event. I'm super familiar with them. They're, cool. they're a group. So you mentioned you've got your hand in several different things and both professionally and just personally. So like, what's the intrigue for speaking? Like how does speaking fit into everything for you? Honestly, speaking is what I love to do the most. I mean, of all, I was a pastor, preacher, nonprofit stuff, and it's still the space when I kind of do some self-evaluation and self-reflection It's telling stories, getting people excited, making people feel passionate. It's what I love the most. And certainly one of the gifts that comes the easiest to me. And so I think the question is, it's, I love it. And I've done a bunch of it. Is there a way to parlay that into more of a career so that I can back off of some of these other things that I like okay, but I don't love and I need to sort of accept that. Gotcha. So you, one of the things you'd mentioned too was that you've got a lot going on. You're intrigued by speaking, but if you're going to start going down that path towards being a speaker and doing a lot of speaking, you want to do it only if it makes sense in part financially. Like you, you're interested in it. You love doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, like we all have to eat and live indoors. And that's absolutely yeah. a factor of, I want to do something I love, but at the same time, like it, it has to make sense financially. So it sounds like there has to be some, in some way, I don't mean this some negative or anything, but like there has to be some type of pot at the end of the rainbow sure. um, that's going to, to make sense for you, right? Yeah, I think it's a time value, right? With everything that I do, certainly I, I choose to spend my time doing things sometimes that don't return. There's no return on investment in financial terms. I think all of us hopefully do that. We find ways to give back. But in those 40, 50, 60 hours a week that we are going to choose to to work and to sort of further our careers and provide for our families. I want to make sure that I'm spending the the best amount of uh, resources and making a smart investment of my time. And that doesn't necessarily mean one-to-one. If I could make 80% in the time I spend investing in speaking, if I could make 80% of what I would make doing something else that I didn't really enjoy doing, then it's probably worth it, right? It doesn't have to be a one-to-one, but if I'm going to make 20% of what I could make doing speaking, I don't know if I'm probably going to make that decision for the long term. What in an ideal world, like what, what would you like to make from speaking? Gosh, uh, this is where I know that's a huge like question. Like the more the merrier. No, but no, but I mean, to some degree, yes. But also with my background, which some of the stuff we talked about offline, I would, if there's a curve that is 
showing the difference between meaningful speaking engagements and dollars, I would rather more meaningful and enough dollars to validate the time than to just be doing stuff I'm not really enjoying doing because it pays the most money, right? So this feels, I feel like you're putting me on the spot and I'm going to receive this as a thank you for being generous with your time. Uh, So I would say when I think about the time it takes to put a speech together and to travel, okay, let's assume I'm doing a, you know, it's not something in my hometown, it's somewhere I'm having to go, and I'm taking out expenses, okay, just for simplicity, they're going to get me there and put me in a normal three-star hotel or whatever, right, so uh, I would say my ideal to get to a point sooner than later where I would want to invest in this as a career move for me would be probably three to four thousand dollars a speech, would be my goal, not 10 years from now, not even five years from now, but within a year or two that I could be there. Yeah. And some of it would be like, I asked just for like context of yeah. some of it's just kind of like setting expectations of yeah. what, like what's, especially when you're starting something like speaking or anything, you're just like, I don't even know what's realistic. Absolutely. I'm walking into a restaurant and I've never been to a restaurant. I have no idea what the prices are going right. to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know what's on the menu. Totally. And I would start by saying it is very much realistic to get paid three to 4,000 for someone who has your level of experience where you've done a bunch of speaking engagements. My assumption is on a one to 10 scale, you're probably in a seven and eight type of speaker where you're good. You know, it's not like you've never done this before, but you've got enough at bats or trips around the track to know that you're a good speaker. You can hold your own. So one of the big variables then is going to be the type of audience that you speak to and what it is that you speak about. Right. The other thing that I would say just in terms of expectation to think through is you can charge three to 4,000 out of the gate, depending on some stuff we'll talk about in a second, but getting the number of engagements that you may be looking for still takes time. Yeah. Um, I think that's always something to consider as well. Like, you know, I just did an interview for the podcast with a guy who went from zero to 70 gigs in about four years. And that, I think most speakers say that's actually pretty fast. Yeah. That's pretty fast. Yeah. So some of it just depends on like how quick three to 4,000 is one thing, but what's the total number we're going for in terms of what's even realistic. Like in the same way, I could probably ask you, like you're a marathoner. We were talking a little bit about that offline. You've done a lot of races. So could someone run a sub three marathon? Yeah, but can they do it six months from now? Probably not, you know? No no way. (laughs) Right, so it's just, it's some of those type of things of, yes, it's possible. It's just gonna take a little bit to to get there though. So let's come back to, one of the things that we teach here is we teach the, the speaker success roadmap. And so five steps that go along with that. So one being to identify a problem that you could speak on. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Second step being to, to structure your talk or basically figure out your solution to the problem that you identify that you could speak on. Third being to establish yourself as the expert. You are the go-to person to talk about this. Fourth being to book paid speaking engagements. Really important that we get the first three down first before we start booking. Fifth being to grow beyond the stage. And that's where you can really leverage your time and multiply your both your impact and your income in multiple ways there. So the first one being there to identify a problem that you could speak on. And within that, there's going to be a couple of different pieces there. We kind of think of like three overlapping circles, almost like the Olympic rings, just three fifths of the rings. And with those three rings, we talk about those three things representing three different thing pieces of the puzzle, basically. So the first one being your interest, your interest. So like, what is it that you are interested in even speaking on? What is it that you're excited about? What is it that you feel like you're a go-to expert on? Not only for you personally, 
but also on the other side is what is it that the industries that organizations and events are looking for speakers to talk about that they're actually interested yeah. in hiring for. So you mentioned a few different topics there. So like, let's kind of walk back through that piece. What are some potential topics that you feel like you could hypothetically speak on? Yeah. So I certainly, obviously nonprofits, you know, I think certainly I've grown. Like what about with nonprofits? So, I mean, one of it is just probably how to start a nonprofit, how to get people excited about your cause. My tendency as a guy who does a lot of marketing would be to, some of you might argue with this and you might, but I don't want to be so niche that I'm limiting myself to so few people. So even rather than nonprofits, I would even maybe say one thing I've done really well over the last 10 years is I know how to start things. I know how to take an idea, a vision, and to actually execute it and to make it a real thing. I've done that with a dozen different things, nonprofits, businesses across the spectrum. So I really enjoy that. I really enjoy talking to people about pursuing things they're passionate about, living meaningful, abundant lives, uh, not sort of going along with the flow, right? Just letting life uh, drift along and wherever you end up yourself, more the viewing yourself as a participant in the world instead of a spectator. So I like that idea. It's something I'm passionate about. When you're talking about those kind of things, obviously an easy story is me running for mayor of my hometown when I was 19 years old and me starting a nonprofit to rescue children out of child trafficking in Africa, even though I was only 27 years old when I started it. So I think I have a history of that. And those are stories that are my stories and not someone else's stories. And those are authentic. So that would definitely be up there. I think also, I guess the last topic I sort of told you about writing a book on disruption right now, which is essentially I've defined disruption as in the book as uh, finding some truth you're uncomfortable with and then showing up, sticking around and creating a new truth. And that is the definition of a disruptor. And so the business world has used the term disruptor a lot over the last 20 years, almost to where it's been overdone, some people think, but that hasn't spread really out of the business world. And so there's a ton of people that when I say something about being a disruptor, they're like, I've never even heard that. What does that, what does that mean? So I think there's a lot of opportunity in those things, if that answers your question. Yeah. And one thing to speak to something that you said earlier about not wanting to limit yourself. And I think that's the case with like most speakers and most just businesses in general is I don't want to limit us to just this because then that closes off this whole other potential market or potential audience. The danger in doing that, obviously, is you become this jack of all trades and the master. Right. Of them, you yeah, know? which um, is what I think I've done too much, honestly. Like that's my fear, I guess, right? When I, yep. when I send you my speaker bio page, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like it's almost overwhelming how much this guy's done, which is why I said to you, I want to find those three things that I say, hey, I have a plethora of, I've done some really cool stuff. And here's the three things I talk about that I've learned from doing all of those things. Right. So, and that's where, you know, in that third stage of the speaker success roadmap is to establish yourself as the expert on X. No. So meaning that now, if that means that let's say you put your stake in the ground for, you know, nonprofit stuff and you have the opportunity to speak on disruption or passion or something that ties in or some opportunity comes up organically. Great. But just like, especially from a marketing perspective, it gets very, very confusing if I come to your site or whoever's whatever speaker yeah. site they're like, well, you know they speak on this and this and this and all these different audiences and it kind of feels like they're for everybody and nobody at the same time you know yeah. 
like the analogy we use is like the restaurant. You know, if you go to, you know, you go to a restaurant and you look at the menu and they've got, we serve Italian and we serve Mexican and we serve, you know, Chinese and, you know, all these different, and you're just like, you can't do all those things. There's only one restaurant that I think can get away with it has been able to get away with doing all those. And that's Cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory is this, like the- uh, No, they're the one exception. I would never do that. No other restaurant should ever try that. But their menu is like 62 pages long. It has everything. It is ridiculous as a past server in restaurants. Like that just seems like a nightmare to try to learn. Oh, uh, I can imagine. Everything that's in there. But it makes it feel like just overwhelming. And it makes Absolutely. it feel- Absolutely, yeah, it's too much. Yeah, it makes it feel watered down. So, yeah. okay, so we got the interest piece. The next piece would be industry, industry. And so there are, we've identified basically seven major industries for a potential speaking opportunities. Seven major industries. So you have corporations, associations, Nonprofits, government and military, church and faith world, college and university, and K through 12, or basically elementary, middle schools, high schools. Okay. Now, there's pros and cons between all of them. Right. Some of them are easier to get into than others. Some of them have more opportunities than others. Yeah. Uh, some of them pay more than others. So basically, what we're trying to do now is try to figure out which of these most uh, relate and identify with you and what like your world, what you've been a part of also that align with potential financially revenue wise of who are going to pay more. You can charge more speaking to colleges than you can speaking to elementary schools. You right. Know, one of the, you can do the more or less the same talk, but they're going to be they're different fee structures, you know? Right. So you've got that to consider as well. So based on those seven, which of the ones kind of stand out to you? It's just kind of like, that's a market I'm familiar with. That's something that, now obviously there's a ton of niches and subcategories within that, but just something to go off of to get us going. Any of those jump out to you as something that's appealing? Yes, certainly. And I've thought about, I don't have these as delineated as you do, obviously, since you're a pro at this, but this falls pretty closely into a lot of the ways I've thought about this. Nonprofits are the obvious one where I think I would have a lot of credibility. My fear in nonprofits has always been nonprofits don't like to pay for things. And so that feels like a challenge. Uh, certainly college. I think there's, I think my, I'm 34 years old. I'm a professor, adjunct faculty at Texas A&M, which is a very well-known university. Right. So I'm still young enough to the students. I'm interacting with them, you know, on a weekly basis during the year. This is my fourth semester to teach that class in the business school at A&M. So I think I've got some skins on the wall there. The two that I would like to get into and wonder which is the best direction to go based on the other things we talked about today is certainly corporations, figuring out how to take that message of sort of disruption and do that in a way that's not scary to the decision makers, right? Because they don't feel like I'm telling their cubicle people, you know, hey, rip off your clothes and leave on this next Friday because you're your own business, right? But to do what I believe is to say, if you can learn to solve problems in this certain way, if you can learn to think about the world in a new way, you're going to create so much new value for your employer that you're going to have limitless opportunities to be able to advance in your career, even with that one employer, right? Which I think is true, that this is a way of thinking about the world that changes everything you interact with. And then associations is probably the one I'm least familiar with because that feels so broad. I mean, I've talked to some people that have mentioned oil and gas and banking associations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
I think it'd be pretty cool if there was two or three of those that my message sort of most fits and that I really went after those associations. But that's kind of my thought. I probably didn't help much because I just named half of what you put out. <laughs> no, no it, does, no, it does help because again, it helps to think through the lens of, again, where you're at your background, your, what's interesting, what's appealing to you. There's some of these that you're going to look at and be like, I could, but that's not super exciting. And I'm not super intrigued by that. And then to go again to what we were kind of talking about earlier on the financial piece, some of these that make more sense than others. So like you said, the nonprofit world, that's a world that you're in. There are certainly opportunities to speak to nonprofits and from anything from starting a nonprofit to fundraising would obviously right. be a big piece to yeah. you know mobilizing volunteers. So there's a lot of potential things there, but financially, is there enough nonprofits in the world that have the wherewithal to bring in a speaker to pay, you know, three to five thousand to talk right. about that? My initial reaction would be probably not. Well, not necessarily. Probably, I think it'd be. I think it'd be difficult. You know, in terms of just in your spot of low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, that would probably be an uphill battle. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the irony of the nonprofit piece, of course, is with like say fundraising that we've gone the two nonprofits that I started six years ago combined revenue is close to one and a half million dollars now six years in, and so you can very easily make one or two or three tweaks to your development process or to one single fundraiser. That is a $20,000 difference, right? Like a couple of years ago, I taught myself to auctioneer on watching YouTube videos because somebody needed an auctioneer in two days and their guy got sick. And so I taught myself how to auctioneer. So now I do about five or six charity auctions a year here in town and just changing the order in which you do the items after having done enough of these uh, or doing a cash call at the end where you say, hey, we're $5,000 short of our goal tonight. So I need to find 20 people who will do a $250 gift to close us out tonight. Raise your hand. Somebody give me one now, one now, two now, two, got three now, three, three, four, four now, five now, right? And all of a sudden, boom, $5,000 more before anybody's even put their napkin on the table to leave for the night. So what, that's one of the things that's frustrating is that nonprofits need this the most and can benefit the most from it, but they don't want to spend the money up front to see the benefit in return. That makes sense. Well, and I would say one thing too there is anytime that you can speak on a topic where there's a direct ROI for the yeah. client, it right. makes it a lot more of a no-brainer. If I can pay you 5000 to come in and speak at my fundraising dinner or something like that, and I know that by bringing you in that historically you've helped increase giving by 20% or something. Sure. Um, that's a no brainer, right? Cause it more, it more than pays for itself. That's why right. you know, sales is such a popular topic among speakers is because it really clearly affects the bottom line. Right. So that could be an option. And I think with all of this, one thing I would say, right. and I, I say to all speakers is you're going to have a lot of potential options here. And so there's going to the spot where you're at right now, where it just feels overwhelming of going, how do I pick between a bunch of good options to figure out what's the great option. Sure. A big thing I would say to you would be to not feel like you're making a marriage commitment decision here, right? Like we're picking something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the thing forever and ever and ever. Right. Yes. That's where a lot of times it's easy to get caught up with 
feeling like, oh, well, what if it's the wrong path? If I start going down this thing and it's the wrong thing. Well, if, it, if you get six months in or nine months in and you find you're not gaining traction and it's not working, right. it's not permanent. You have not made any permanent decision. You can yeah. say, well, let's try going down this path. Let's see if we can gain some traction this way. And you may get into it you know, a couple years. There's a lot of speakers who go down a path for a couple years and then they will pivot and go to a different one. Not because they didn't have success. They had a, enormous success. Sure. They're just looking for kind of a new you know, a new sandbox to play right. in. So right. You may be in that spot as well, where maybe you choose to start with a nonprofit route and then pivot to something else. Okay. So we've got interest industry. The last piece would be integrity, integrity. And what I mean by that is basically, are you qualified to talk about this? Meaning that I want to speak to nonprofits about fundraising. Have you ever done any fundraising? No, no, no. I haven't done any in my life. You know, right. I want to talk about it. So are you qualified to talk about the subject? So, and, and it sounds like, you know, in, in nonprofits and disruption and passion, you check those boxes. So that's a pretty simple, easy one there. So based on what we've covered so far between interests, industry, and integrity, was there some combination that even just jumps out to you that sounds like this seems like the low hanging fruit? I mean, from what we talk about, it feels like, university and nonprofits would be the easiest ones to book. Now, would they be the right ones to book financially seems TBD, but it seems like I'd be fighting more for the corporations than I would be for those other two. So it might make more sense to get some momentum, get some good reviews and some of that, and then start making that transition into corporation. I've also just started dabbling probably in the last two years in some for-profit businesses. I have a social media company. I started doing some real estate investment, but those are, I have less years and feathers in my hat on those things than I do right now on the nonprofit, right? When I say out of nothing, we created a nonprofit in Africa that's rescued 80 children out of child slavery boom, that's all of a sudden going to get somebody's attention. Whereas I can say, well, in the last year, a partner and I have bought six rent houses and all of them have cash flowed. It's like, eh, that's cool. But we come back when it's 30 rent houses, right? And not six. And so I think from a credibility, the integrity one that you talked about, uh, probably it's going to be, I can pull, I have hundreds of stories that I could tell a nonprofit about donor conversations, conversations in the field, being sustainable, empowering people. All that language is probably the most in my toolbox than some of the corporate language, even though I'm slowly making that shift. Gotcha. And you even mentioned like the social media piece. Is that a topic that you're interested in speaking on? Yeah, certainly. I mean, so the whole reason we started the social media business was because I started having companies come to me after they saw what we did with the marathon and the mercy project to the nonprofit. And they said, could you do for our business what you've done for your nonprofit? And that is get people excited around our brand. And so we've worked with about 50 or 60 small businesses um, in the last two years, teaching them how to create content that gets people excited about their brand. So yes, there's the place where I can probably cross over into that corporate world with both stories from the nonprofit and stories from the for-profit, but in a way that's going to get me paid closer to what I'm hoping to. Right. No, I mean, social media is definitely something that would be 
low hanging fruit in, in terms of topic that a lot of organizations, companies, and groups would be looking for help with. It's one of those things, I know I'm supposed to be doing it, but I have no idea Absolutely. where to begin. So whether that be, you know, teaching social media to nonprofits on helping them build brand awareness or yeah. just even, you know, companies and corporations, associations. And just for clarification, like when we say association, like we were talking about earlier, that can look a lot of different ways. So it may be realtors, it could be financial advisors, it could yeah. be small business, small mom and pop shop associations, right. you know, those types. So it could be any number of things who could benefit from that social media help that you might be able to teach there. So part of what we're, we're, we're doing right now is we're just doing a lot of brainstorming. It's just kind of like, what are the potential options? Let's get everything out on the table and just kind of talk it through and think it through. And I don't expect by the end of, you know, our call here that you're, you're going up. Oh, I know, I know exactly what it is, but at least I'm getting some clarity on what yeah. some of those next steps might be. From here, one of the best things I always recommend is to begin doing some research and on doing it a couple different ways. Look for potential speakers who are doing something similar to what you might want to do. Okay. Do this for a couple reasons. One is you want to try to find other speakers who are doing something similar to prove that there's a market for it. Yeah. So you might be browsing around and be like, I can't find any speakers that talk in the nonprofit world. And so initially, sometimes like as an entrepreneur, we think I can't find anyone doing this. That means there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. not the case, right? right. So if, if nobody's doing it, it's because typically there's not a great market for it. You, ideally, you want to find something that other speakers are already doing sure. so that you can put your own spin on it and you can, but there already is a problem in the marketplace that these people right. are speaking to that you could do as well. Sure. So that's always uh, super helpful. The other thing too is to begin looking for potential types of events or organizations or groups that may be a good fit for you. So for example, let's say that you wanted to speak about disruption to college students, right? So begin, begin kind of even just browsing around online and doing a couple of searches to figure out what might they hire me? What problem would I be solving? To, if I'm speaking to uh, 19, 20, 21 year olds about disruption, is, sure. that, is that a problem that they actually have that I can help solve? Or is it just kind of, I like to talk about this and I like talking to college students, so I'm going to do my best to mash these two together when in reality, that's not necessarily a problem that they have. So that's where, again, coming all the way back to step one of that roadmap of identify a problem that I could speak on. So yeah. There's so many speakers that say they'll be similar to your spot where I have a cool story or yeah. I've done these cool things. Can people just hire me based on that? No, like it's good. It'll get your foot in the door and right. that it differentiates you from average Joe Schmo who hasn't sure. done anything. But at the end of the day, if an organization or group is going to hire you, they're bringing you in to solve a specific problem for their event, for their audience, for their company, for sure. you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So begin looking for some potential types of events that might bring you in. And obviously every niche is going to be different than maybe hiring speakers. So based on some of that, without having done any research, are there, is there any combination here that jumps out at you as, as a potential starting point? Yeah. I mean, I think basically what you said, I think that the two problems, if you will, that I think I can solve certainly in the nonprofit world, I think I can solve owning your story, learning how to tell your story in a way that compels people to participate with you and leveraging that into real dollars using it's not just having a great story, but having a great story that invites participation, which equals fundraising donations. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an easy topic. Uh, I guess I'll have three. The, the second one, certainly I think 
taking what I'm already doing with companies and social media where people are paying us monthly to basically create this content for them and taking these to some of these associations where I can say, hey, particularly, Grant, if I've got a specific association like a Realtors Association, I could come into that with 30 or 40 tangible examples of how realtors should be using social media to engage their people that is much easier with a room full of realtors than a room full of very small business owners. Right, right. That's very easy to do. And then, and then third, with college students, I think the problem I'm solving with disruption is that we've got a whole bunch of college students right now who are not sure what they want to do with their lives, but they want it to feel purposed. And so the, the, the problem I'm solving is to say, you can feel purpose in anything you choose to do if you're going about it the right ways. And right. what does that mean? It means X, Y, Z, right? You're, if you're the kind of person in whatever career, industry, sort of vocation you choose, you're a person who's always aware of those truths you're uncomfortable with and you're willing to disrupt those truths as they come to you, that's going to be fulfilling and make you feel abundant, no matter whether you're a banker, a fashion designer, a teacher, anything like that. So I think all of those have the potential to be very tangible and, and doable items that I can start researching. And I told you, I'm, my goal is to really kick this off in, in 2018. You mentioned speaking numbers. I would like to do one to two speaking engagements a month starting in 2018. So I feel like I have a pretty realistic, I'm not trying to run the three hour marathon in six months, right. if you will. Um, right, right. So one yeah. other thing I'd, I'd mentioned to you too, as something just to consider is how you can incorporate some of your existing businesses into speaking. So meaning that there's several speakers that I know that they speak and they get paid really, really well for it, but they speak in part as lead generation for their service-based business. So right. in your case, it may make sense to, let's say, like, do you do any nonprofit consulting? I do some, yeah, but same problem. Lots of people want me to do it. Very few want to pay for me okay. to do it. So then let's go to the social media example where yeah. maybe let's go, let's imagine that you speak to a room of a hundred realtors. Right. And as a result of that, 10% uh, of the room, 10 of them hire you to hire yeah. your company to do the social media. So it's the type of thing where you can give from a speaking perspective in an hour keynote or training, you can give kind of the high level view of this is how you can go take this for your own real estate business and do this. Right. Oh, by the way, I run this company and we can just do it for you. Yeah. Uh, and so what that also generates is you mentioned at the beginning, one of the big wins for you in speaking is that the financial side and the revenue piece is that in the right types of events, if you have a good back end of some type of product or service that you offer, sure. then what the fee is that you're getting at the beginning, that three to 4,000 is just icing on the cake right. because you're making so much more. If each event you go speak at, like, I don't know what the lifetime value is for an average like social media client for you, but yeah, I mean, it's probably $5,000. So if you pick up one client, you know, right. that's going to be more, uh, yep. If you pick up a couple clients, you're going to be making significantly more out of the gate. So just from a financial ROI perspective, like that may be something to look at is to do social media, like speak on social media, knowing that in part it's lead generation for your business. And each time you speak, if you know that, Hey, I'm getting three to 4,000 and I'm being paid to do lead gen sure. and as a result of that, I'm making 10 to 20 on social media clients that may be a win all day long. Cause to get right. to that point of going, you know, getting 
20 to 25 to 30,000. It's possible that just takes years and years and years to get there. Yeah. And so by having some type of good back end, that's where we talk about growing beyond the stage, having right. something like that, that really helps to shortcut the, you know, the, the system, so to speak. Yeah, no, um, that's great. So that may be, that may be something to consider as well. So yeah. how does all of that, like just to kind of put a bow on it and wrap it up, how does all of that sit? Where do you still feel stuck? Do you feel any more clarity? What are your thoughts now? I feel a lot more clarity. I feel like just kind of walking through that exercise with you is extremely helpful. And and I don't feel stuck. I mean, I feel like for the first time, I have two or three very specific topics that I can begin tightening up to say, okay, what is my social media topic? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, everyone's doing it, but you know, everyone's talking, but is anybody listening type stuff, right? How to make your social media stand out, how to tell stories on social media. You know, I've had several campaigns go viral that I've just kind of tinkered with. I don't know. Do y'all have Bluebell there in uh, Nashville? Ice cream? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they came out with that cookie two-step ice cream, you know, a few months ago, I wrote this very intentionally ridiculous over-the-top review about how it was the first bite was like the moment in Dirty Dancing when she runs across the stage (laughs) and catches her and spins her around in his arms and Two weeks later, I was sitting in the office of the Bluebell VP of marketing, and he was telling me that everybody in the office had read my review and they thought it was the most hilarious thing they'd read that week. So I've got those moments where I've made something go viral using social media, and it was not an accident. I wrote something and posted it with a picture and invited people to participate with it in such a way that got it to go viral. Now you can't do that every time, right? But Mm -hmm. businesses don't need to do that every time. They need to have enough instincts to see the stories that they can tell. So yes, this is all super helpful and it gives me some tangible things to work with. I'd love to loop back around in nine months and be able to do a a follow-up to say, you know, how I've used this and here's my three topics and here's the 10 bookings that I've gotten from it. Give me one next step you're going to take. So I think it's, there's, I would give two. The first is outline those three sort of areas, tighten up the three areas I told you about that are going to be my calling cards. And then the second is begin to identify those speakers that are already doing this and who they're already speaking to so that I can begin reaching out to those people and telling them that they should hire me to do their next gig. Beautiful. I like it. Well, I see all of this is, is kind of taking some of this. I know I want to do this speaking thing. I'm not, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure where to begin. I've got a lot of tools in the toolbox. I'm not sure which ones I'm going to need. Yeah. And just kind of stepping back and doing some analysis here. And that's why within that speaker success roadmap, sure. the fourth step is book paid speaking engagements. We want to jump to that step, but there's all this like foundational stuff. Of, we just kind of nailed down, like what's the problem we're actually solving? How are we solving that? How do we put our stake in the ground that we are the go-to person on this thing? Okay, now we have something to work with on um, sure. uh, speaking engagement. So yeah. cool. Well, Chris, man, I appreciate the time. It was a lot of fun chatting with you. Grant, thanks, man. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that little eavesdrop opportunity to listen on the coaching call that I had with Chris. Hope that was helpful to you. Hope you learned something. Hope that was inspiring to you. And maybe for you, you feel in a similar spot. You're just trying to figure out, I'm trying to get some clarity on who I want to speak to, what I want to speak about. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in a few months, we'll do a follow-up call with Chris to see where he's at and see what kind of progress he's made on the business. But hey, again, let me remind you, 
If you feel stuck, if you feel in that spot where you're like, I just don't know what I don't know, and I'm trying to get some clarity and figure out my next steps, you definitely want to check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Come hang out with us. We're doing a free weekly live training teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So we'd love to have you join us again over at freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode, episode one, two, three. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.